Hello, today's scripture reading is from Acts 8, verses 1 through 8 in the CBS translation. If you have a Bible or a device, uh, I'd encourage you to turn there. While you're getting ready, my name is Kyle Dossett. I've been a covenant member for a year with my wife, Jen, and our son, Finnegan. Let's hear God's word. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On the day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter the house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said, and as they listened and saw the signs he was performing, from clean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame and healed. So there was a great joy in the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for walking by faith this morning. If you got a Bible, go ahead and get there. Uh, Happy New Year. We're going to be in the book of Acts uh, up until uh, through into summer, into July or early August. So we are in chapter uh, 8 here, verse, looking at verses 1 through 25. If you need a new Bible as we uh, begin a new year together, if you don't have a good Bible to read at home, we have free ones at Guest Connections. We also have uh, free study Bibles in the corner area where the couches are. I encourage you to grab one of those if that would be a resource for you. Isaiah 55, I want to share with you an update, a mission update, an encouraging one. It's also in your program as well, in the uh, evidences of God's grace. But Jesus has called us to go and make disciples of him from our neighborhoods to the nations. And so we're excited to add another ongoing partner to our mission efforts. In December, we, we began supporting husband and wife Mario and Kayla, who pastor a local church in Reynosa, Mexico, and also serve alongside the Isaiah 55 team. Uh, in Reynosa. So Isaiah 55 is a ministry that uh, Crosspointers Darren and Jane Freidinger were with uh, full-time for several years. It's a ministry that we have sent several short-term teams to as well. It's a ministry that we have great affection for, and uh, it's a joy to partner with through those years. And so for those of us who have gone on a trip before to Isaiah 55, you know what a blessing Mario and Kayla and their family are to that mission there. Uh, they have been, they're a part of Mexico, from Mexico, and our support of them takes them to fully supported, which is a, a blessing to be able to do. It's a, it's a joy to link arms with gospel partners as we see churches planted and strengthened, both locally, regionally, and then globally. So thank you, church, for giving generously as a way of life so that we as a church might give generously as a way of life. Every Sunday morning, we give uh, 12% of what is, uh, what is brought in, what is given, we send that back out toward mission efforts, local to global. So the biblical pattern is we are blessed to be a blessing. And so it's a joy. And thank you for helping us live that pattern out uh, as a local church in the rural Midwest, sending dollars, partnering with, uh, whether it's Papua New Guinea, Isaiah 55, Compassion, a variety of church partners through the years. So if you have questions at all as it relates to our mission efforts, you can check out our website as well as you can talk to one, a member of our GO team, our global outreach team. That'd be Kathy Lane, uh, Stephen and Lauren Souter, Micah Williamson, or Darren and Jane Friedinger. You can talk to any of them if you have questions. From the beginning of the New Testament church, 
The good news of Jesus has been proclaimed and heralded, spoken of, passed on, passed down, taught through the people of God who might outwardly be described as ordinary and yet are empowered by the extraordinary Spirit of God as witnesses. In Acts 4, the leaders who are opposed to the name of Jesus describe the apostles, the apostles as ordinary, unschooled, and yet they're amazed that they're recognized that these ordinary men had been with Jesus. They sounded like, they acted like, they, they resembled Jesus through their words and their way of life. Mario and Kayla, the Isaiah 55 team, are ordinary people empowered by the Spirit, redeemed by the Son, and loved by the Father. So are the Ethnos 360 households serving to the Kuyu people in Papua New Guinea. So are the households, the people, the brothers and sisters serving at Redeemer and Menunk or Partridge Point in Metamora. And so could be described here of us here at Cross Point, fellow members of his body, branches of his vine, on mission to show and tell of the gospel. Ordinary people empowered by the Spirit, redeemed by the Son, and loved by the Father. The people of God revealing Jesus through our words and our way of life. In Acts 6, we are introduced at, to servant leaders who were appointed to the task of caring for widows who were being overlooked. Then last week, Acts 7, we walked with one of those servant leaders, Stephen, who ended up dying for his faith. Now in Acts 8, we walk with another one of those Acts 6 leaders by the name of Philip. Jesus commissioned his disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That commission applies to all his disciples, not just the apostles. So if you're feeling ordinary today, as a new year begins, like I am, I'm feeling ordinary. Like every single day I'm feeling ordinary. Today is just Sunday. It ends with why I feel ordinary. If you're feeling ordinary today, here in this next section, we get to walk with an ordinary brother in Christ, Philip, on mission, following the footsteps of Jesus. The circle of missionaries here in Acts, as it tracks along, is widening, and so are the uh, geographic regions and the people that the gospel is going out to. Jesus said it would in Acts 1.8, and so for the first seven chapters, the mission has been in Jerusalem. Now, in Acts 8-12, through 12, we'll see it go to Judea and Samaria, places and people outside of Jerusalem. God's people scattered outward from Jerusalem and sent out on mission. So this morning, we have an opportunity to be encouraged as fellow missionaries. We also get to be encouraged by and reminded of the Spirit of God at work, the power of the gospel at work in people's lives. So verses 1 through 4 are kind of this bridge from Acts 7 to Acts 8. Saul agreed with putting him, Stephen, to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. So at the end of chapter 7, Saul is introduced to the storyline. In Acts 9, we'll read of the dramatic conversion of Saul and saving faith in Jesus Christ. But here we read of Saul's life what it was marked by prior to his conversion. And it was marked by the persecution of the church. Prior to becoming Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, all by the grace of God, he was a striving, graceless, cruel, 
vindictive, angry man. In Galatians 1.13, Paul will later write that he persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. And yet, as we've seen thus far in Acts and throughout history, persecution doesn't stop an almighty God who is fulfilling his sovereign purposes in this world. Pastor Kent, wrote, Pastor Kent Hughes wrote this, following the church through Acts is like following a wounded deer through a forest. Drops of blood mark the trail. And here, Saul is leading the charge that is causing the blood of Christ followers to be spilled out. Luke's detail of Saul going house to house reveals just how intentional, vindictive, and serious he is in trying to stop the movement of Jesus. And the persecution is causing the church to scatter and leave Jerusalem. When Luke writes, all except the apostles left Jerusalem, he's being hyperbolic. The church can continue to thrive there beyond just the apostles. But what Luke wants us to see is that when the church is attacked, the whole church, the whole family, the whole body is affected. While the persecution's intent is to stop the movement, in fact, it had the exact opposite effect. It spreads out because a sovereign God is at work through his faith-walking people. As one author wrote, what seemed a disaster, the scattering of the church, has resulted in a successful mission that was not the result of human planning. Because no human, including you and I, would go, all right, guys, plan A. We're going to be attacked for our faith, but it's going to go outward. All in? Like, none of us would whiteboard. Okay, here we go, guys. None of us would do that. But a God, a sovereign God, a good God, since Genesis, has been using what was intended for evil to bring about the good, the saving of lives. That was the story of Joseph in Genesis 50, which points us forward to the cross of Christ. What was intended as evil toward Jesus leads to the saving of lives through his willing sacrifice upon the cross. And that theme continues through the persecution of the church. What was intended for evil leads to the seeds of the gospel being scattered in new areas and to unreached people. Verse 4 again, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. They continued to keep their hand to the plow and kept walking as spirit-empowered witnesses that Jesus said they were. That said they were Where the new community, where the family of faith goes, so goes the people on mission. That was a story then, it's a story now. We don't shelve the opportunity to show and tell of the gospel in, midst of, in the midst of hardship or difficulty. But we continue on as witnesses in all seasons. For we could argue, it's often during trial that our testimony is that much more received, that much more powerful to those in need of good news. It's often through suffering and yet still proclaiming and trusting in the name of Jesus that a watching world goes, that's not normal. That's weird. What's different about your heart and life? Where do you get your hope? How, do you, how can you still rejoice in the midst of that? And, and a door for the gospel opens up because the Lord is the one who opens it up and we simply walk by faith through it. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Verse 5, Luke takes us now to Philip, one of those who was scattered Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the message to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said. As they listened and saw the signs he was performing for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed 
And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Philip, if you'll remember from Acts 6, is a believer from a Hellenistic Jewish background, meaning he was an outsider to Jerusalem. And seen as an outsider to the Jews who grew up in Jerusalem. And the Lord uses him to take good news to Sumerians who feel like they're outsiders as well. That is beautiful. That is fitting. Because there was hatred and contempt between Jew and Sumerian. A popular prayer for the Jews at the time was, Lord, do not remember the Samaritans at the resurrection. So well on into eternity, we are going to continue this hate. But who is Philip following? Well, Philip is not following in the broken paths of his ancestors, the stubborn, hostile paths of his ancestors. No, he's following Jesus, who is displayed through his earthly ministry a heart, a mission to the Samaritan people. John 4, Jesus loves and ministers to the Samaritan woman. Luke 10, a Samaritan is the hero of Jesus' parable about loving a neighbor. In Luke 17, Jesus heals a Samaritan leper. So, so what would we expect one of his followers of Jesus to do? Follow in the same way. That's the expectation. 1 John 2, 6, we, that we would walk as Jesus walked. Brothers and sisters, the good news is to be proclaimed to all. No one is beyond the hope, the opportunity to respond with humility and joy to the good news of Jesus. We must reject writing off people or groups of people as if we are pre-qualifying them on whether or not they will receive or reject Jesus, as if we in our finite brain can somehow determine what the sovereign God, the infinite God will do in someone's heart. By God's grace, we had people in our lives love us enough to tell us about Jesus, people who didn't pre-qualify us but pursued us with the love of Jesus, may we do the same. Because as Jesus is proclaimed to the Samaritans, a people seen as outsiders, the Lord's power and grace abound. The Spirit is at work, and the gospel leads to deliverance from captivity. The broken are healed, and a great joy is experienced across the city, which shouldn't surprise us, for that is what Jesus said he came to do. When Early in his earthly ministry, he stands up and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah in Luke 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim that freedom, light, salvation, and joy are found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Through responding in faith and repentance, to the truth that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. And that good news, that good news of Jesus to this day, when it is proclaimed, it goes out in power, supernatural power, for it's the power of God at work for the salvation of all who believe. And it leads to abundant joy to those who receive it. Brothers and sisters, do you remember do you remember how good the good news was when you first came to Jesus Christ? When you first realized that the slate had wiped clean, that you'd been washed white as snow, that shame, burden, condemnation lifted. Do you remember how sweet the good news was? It's still just as sweet. The news is just as good. 
It, it never dries out. It never fades away. This good news is that sweet, that good, all the way through till we see him face to face. The gospel confronts and demolishes dark forces. And we see, that, we see it do that in Samaria, to which piques the interest of a magician named Simon. Verse, verse 9, a man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized, were introduced to Simon. And Simon is someone who has the attention of the people. He has power, fame, control. You might say he's an influencer, right? He's an influencer in that city. And the people see him because of his magic, his smoke and mirrors, as possessing some sort of divine power. But then Philip comes along as a witness to Jesus and reveals a, a greater power. A new power comes to town, if you will. And this greater power, power truly from the one true God, is setting free the demonically possessed, healing the physically lame, and bringing about great joy. And Simon is one who has made it about himself in this life. He is readily welcomed and sought to gain the attention of people. Whereas Philip is, is trying to testify, not to his greatness and pro proclaiming his name, but rather the greatness of Jesus and proclaiming the name that is above every name. That's not Philip, that's Jesus Christ. So the Samaritans, when confronted with the power of God and the gospel, they put their faith in Jesus and repent of living for sin and self. They walk in a new way, and to reveal what was done inwardly in them, they follow in obedience through water baptism, publicly declaring that their faith is now not in themselves, but in Jesus who died for them, went under the water, and then raised to life on the third day. And because of Christ, Christ living in them, they walk in new ways, in new creation, new life in Christ. Even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed at he, as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Maybe Simon was like, if you can't beat him, then join him. We're not sure. He makes a public profession, gets baptized. Now there's debate whether or not Simon truly had a sincere faith or not. If, we really if he really understood what it meant to follow and trust in Jesus, I've had friends, friends who I could name by their first name, friends who I still see in our community, who made a profession of faith, got baptized, and yet the direction of their life changed simply momentarily. The seed got choked out by the worries of the world, the temptation of sin, the pride of man, the brokenness of their past, and a superficial faith was was tragically revealed. I believe that's the situation here with Simon, which I think makes more sense as we track along in this story. But even the way that Luke describes Simon following Philip kind of has this rock star feel. You get a sense that Simon was still focused on the signs and the miracles rather than the Savior and the Messiah who was being revealed through the signs and the miracles. Verse 14, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So inward belief happens. Outward public testimony of baptism happens. But then the Spirit comes later. That's a different pattern than we've seen thus far in the book of Acts. It's the exception rather than the norm. It's not setting up a paradigm for the church to follow according to John Stott. We have seen in Acts 2, we'll see in Acts 10, that the laying on of hands, for instance, is not necessary for the Spirit to come. So what's going on here? Let's look again at the, at the context of where, where we are at, the storyline of Scripture, where we are at in the history of the church. Acts 1.8, Jesus promises the Spirit will be poured out on His people. The Spirit comes in Acts 2, and now the church is moving into a new people, a new region, as they move into Samaria, outside Jerusalem. Daryl Bach wrote this, The reason for the delay here may well be to make clear to the apostles as the witnesses that God has acted. Normally the Spirit comes with faith in the New Testament, but these are special circumstances that make a break in the pattern to underscore a fresh move of God. In a sense, because of how it goes down, there is a special legitimization taking place here because of the potential controversy of Samaritan inclusion. Because when the apostles return to Jerusalem and they return with joy, they will now have firsthand evidence, experience of how the Spirit has been poured out on believing Samaritans as Jesus said it would in Acts 1.8. The description here makes clear that the coming of the Spirit is God's work. For the apostles are not in control of the Spirit itself. The Spirit is not subject to the apostles any more than the Spirit is not subject to Simon trying to buy it later on in this passage. For it is God who brings about salvation in the hearts and lives of those who receive Him. It is God who sends the Spirit for the good of His people. And here the gospel has gone to the Samaritans. The good news is going, is going to the nations. The Samaritans, once enemies, are now brothers and sisters in Christ. For they've been baptized into the same eternal family that the thousands in Jerusalem have earlier. So now, even as the church expands and reaches outward into Samaria and beyond, a unified family continues. It just expands. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. See, Simon thought he could buy, manipulate, control the power of the Spirit for his benefit. See, Simon wanted the power and authority to distribute the, the Spirit to others as he saw fit. But the good news of Jesus is not a power to try to wield for personal gain. The, the Spirit isn't for sale, nor is it like magic. As one author wrote, the Spirit is neither controllable nor subject to purchase. The Spirit comes by God's direction as a gift, and it's to be received as such, received as a gift. A gift, not to go out and purchase, a gift to receive. Salvation is a gift by grace and through faith. For then the story of salvation, the glory of it, goes all to the one who did the saving work. This week, if you read in 1 Timothy 1, Paul will later write, talking about his, his conversion. All glory doesn't go to Paul. It goes to the one who did the work. Glory goes to the one who saves and gives new life, redeems us from the power of the enemy, sets us free from sin, grants his people eternal life, and the Spirit is given as a gift to all who put their trust in Jesus. 
There's a warning here that we should heed as we see Simon's narcissism try to buy the Spirit. We're naive, friends, if we pretend that we are above such temptation of trying to use money, status, or power to try to manipulate people, let alone the God of the universe. A desire for worldly things, the pride of flesh, the pride of our eyes will lead us to spiritual downfall. downfall. May we wholeheartedly reject the temptation to be glory thieves and hogs, if you will. Rather, may we be glory reflectors and deflectors, making it about Jesus. Because it's His life that we are living out. We've been crucified, now it's His life, new life, resurrection life being lived out by faith through us. Peter rebukes Simon, verse 20, but Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Peter calls Simon to repentance. Loved ones, to point out spiritually tragic air in someone's heart and life, it's not hate, no matter what culture says. It's love. Can it be done rudely? Of course. Probably all received that at times. I know I have. But done in a Christ-like, full of grace, full of truth way, it's a, a rebuke is a grace to receive. A grace from someone who loves us enough to step into that. What will Simon do? How will he respond? When given the opportunity to repent and be forgiven, it's on Simon to decide, to act, to humble himself and pray. There's debate about how he responded, but in my general reading of the passage, in my study, I get the impression that Simon did not respond with humility. Simon asked Peter to pray for him, and yet Luke never records Simon praying. See, true faith in Christ is always personal. It's always lived out, not through others, but personally, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, have you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you trying to live your faith out through the faith of another person? A spouse, a friend, a child, a parent, a pastor, May today be the day that you personally, between you and the Lord, the only mediator is Jesus Christ, where you personally ask the Lord to forgive you, for he is faithful and just to do just that. Salvation is found not through faith in another person's faith, but it's found in Jesus Christ alone, for he is the only faithful one. Verse 25, so after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. To show and tell the gospel is not a compartment of life. It's all of life. It happens as a way of life. Every day is an opportunity to cast seed. Today, tomorrow, Tuesday, the Lord is faithful to cause the growth as we plant, as we water. Michael Green wrote this, speaking of verse 25, and the ordinary people on mission. They were scattered from their base in Jerusalem, and they went everywhere spreading the good news, which had brought joy, release, and a new life to themselves. This was often not just through formal preaching, but informal chattering, 
to friends and chance acquaintances and homes and wine shops on walks and around market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with the conviction of those who were not paid to say that sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken seriously, and the movement spread. The gospel is to go to all, the gospel crosses all the lines that the earth wants to draw, for it's creating a new people, a new community, a new family who are in Christ. None of us are called to go to all the people in all the world. That's exhausting and impossible. But we are called. Better yet, we're empowered, brothers and sisters. We're empowered to be witnesses to the people who are around us, who are right in front of us, who we rub shoulders with, who we live with, who we work with. Let us live with gospel intentionality in everyday life. Let us abide in the Lord Jesus and let his love overflow to those around us. He will bear fruit as we remain connected and abide in him. It's a promise from John 15. Let us abide in the Lord in 2024 and he will bear fruit. We're going to move into a time of communion. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome. You're encouraged to take communion with us alongside the faith family. As a new year has begun, we get this gracious opportunity to pause, to pray, to be alongside the family of God as we remember his sacrifice, remember his broken body and his shed blood. The team will begin handing out the elements now. Uh, I'd encourage you to open those elements during prayer as you receive those, and then we will take those together as one unified body of Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Lord Jesus, thank you that your good news is good news for us today. Not just in our past, not just in our present, nor just in our future. It is good news through and through. Remind us of how good it is to know you and to be known by you. You have sovereignly scattered your people around this world to be on mission for you. Thank you that you are with us to the very end of the age as we make disciples of you, teaching and baptizing in your name. Give us your eyes, your ears, your heart for those who we encounter on a daily basis. Help us to live with gospel intentionality in everyday life. We want you to be glorified through our lives. Help us not to be distracted by money, power, status, or the things of this world. Help us rather to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you for the promise that you make in John 15 that as we abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So help us enjoy time with you and your word and in prayer, and in fellowship with the family of God in the year ahead. May our joy in you lead to a powerful witness and testimony to those around us who we love and who we pray for. We love and trust you, Jesus, and thank you for first loving us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Paul writes this in Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak and mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you should answer each person. This is one way we can live out the story in the year ahead.